Hi, and welcome to the Dresset Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. Well, Trailside, how are we doing this morning? Okay, we'll get there. Um, as you can tell, we make all of our own media. Uh, that was actually my English accent on the end there, so we can be really impressed by that. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Hey, my name is Sean. If it's your first time with us, we're so excited to have you here. Um, man, there's just some crazy stuff happening here, and I feel like Mikey said it, but we didn't know whether to be excited or whether to be quiet because it would throw Mikey off, and he gets you know kind of excited anyways with love and time, but we had... 25 people yesterday serving our city um, in TR, and that was amazing. Um, yeah, that's a whoop whoop moment. Thank you, whoever whoever met me in my wanting there. I appreciate it. Uh, so we we are seeing some incredible things happen. I know you've heard a lot about giving and serving and coming and doing this and doing that, and we have a lot of opportunity. But I'm going to say one more quick thing. We're going to pray, and then we'll get into this morning. If you have the opportunity to come and serve. Next week in our kids' ministry, we are kind of at a big, uh, I don't know what you would call it, a need uh, for this one week. It's just kind of a perfect storm. So as long as you can pass a background check, because that is important. If you can't, you can still come here. You'll just come here. Um, but if you can and, and you have a heart for kids and you say, hey, I'll go in and help out one week, uh, please uh, talk to our kids' ministry staff after service. We just need a few people who can kind of give uh, that little bit of time. So I'm going to pray and we will get started if you guys will pray with me. Father, you are good and we thank you for that. And Lord, we're in this series about doubting our doubt and about things that um, sometimes people use to um, fight following you. I ask that you would meet us in our hearts where we are. God, that um, conviction wouldn't be guilt, wouldn't be judgment, uh, but it would be hope and that you would give that to us this morning. Um, Father, we thank you for all you're doing in this church and in this city, and ask that you continue uh, to bless us, um, to bless our church so we can bless our city, and we can see people uh, come to know Jesus, and the number 18 would go to 180 one day um, because of the goodness of your son and his sacrifice. We love you. Be with us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, that 18 number, by the way, is how many baptisms we've had here. We keep track of that because every number is a story, and every story matters because it tells the story of someone who's walked into the doors here and met Jesus. So that's important to us, a little background. Um, but so we're in this series called Doubt Your Doubt, right? We, we even said when we started our church, when we felt called to plant, we wanted to take on things that other, it sounds bad, but other churches or maybe some other more traditional areas were not going to because they were a little comfortable. And we just decided as a year-old church plant, we don't have the opportunity to be comfortable, so we might as well go all in, Right. It's kind of like when you're getting yourself ready and you're going to ask out the prettiest girl in school, you know that you can't go half in. you got to go all in, right? That way, if you get rejected, at least you know. Maybe that was just my story. Um, but that's what we want to do. We want to go all in on some of these big questions that I think are nat it's natural for you to struggle with. It's natural for, like, I've struggled with them. It's a natural thing because our world is kind of messed up, and the idea that an all-powerful God is in control of it sometimes can get misconstrued. And we can start doubting things that we don't necessarily need to doubt. But we want to kind of meet you in that moment and walk with you and maybe point yourself to, point your heart to uh, the, the fact that Jesus is real and that he loves you and, and he's done everything he said he would. But I think where I really see that is our love of, stay with me, superheroes, right? 
Y'all with me? You may have heard there were a few superhero movies recently that came out. Yeah? I feel like now they're just taking like one demographic of person and throwing everything stereotypical they, they can at one person and being like, you're a superhero now. Congratulations. Um, we're not, y'all aren't with me on that. That's okay. Um, let me tell you about the world and its need for a superhero. In the last decade, Marvel, or I'm not, sorry, the last two decades, Marvel has made 56 superhero movies. 56, which if you feel like you can't keep up with the Marvel Universe, I'm with you, right? Um, but here's the number that really messes me up. In the last decade, they have netted $33.6 billion. Billion on just superheroes. That's it, just, just movie tickets. We're not talking about endorsements and action figures and posters and you know, costumes and all, like just the physical movies themselves to purchase the opportunity to watch one of them, 33.6 billion, and the church all said we are in the wrong business, right? Every one of us. Now, if that number doesn't, um, doesn't throw you a little bit, it's comparable to the entire GDP of the country of Zimbabwe. Yeah. That's crazy. And they're making 10 more over the next 10 years. So if you have just not been destroyed by movies, you've got 10 more opportunities to go watch more superheroes. Congratulations. Everyone's excited for you. Um, but there's one video that, uh, one moment in the few movies I have seen always made me laugh. And, and it's, so, it's so parallel to how we live our lives and how we kind of see ourselves. And it's in uh, the Avengers movie, the first one, which is Infinity War, right? Who's seen it? Anybody seen that in here? Well, the first out of the two. You're, he's fired. Um, there'll be someone new on Wednesday. Uh, Aiden, it's yours now. Um, but there's this moment where this guy, Loki, who is a demigod, who is this dude who is dying for power, who is jealous of everyone, is trying to take over the world. And so he, in true superhero fashion, he opens up like a wormhole and all this army comes into New York City. And as he is trying to destroy the Avengers, this is what happens. I when love he that. That is, that is such a, a, a beautiful picture. There's Iron Man for some reason. There's a, a beautiful picture <laughs> of what we see in our world, right? Like, this is how we approach God. We stand up. We're like, wait, I'm done with this. You are beneath me. I am to be worshipped. I am a God. And then here comes a whole <laughs> walks away, puny God. And it's so interesting, guys, because that is so much of how we treat God. That's so much of how we consider ourselves or maybe even people that we idolize. And when we compare ourselves to who God actually is, it's amazing how weak we actually are. But we have this, this inner turmoil, this need to be superheroes. This, we watch movies, we give money, we spend time, we dress up like them. We idolize these guys because we are so in need of something like that. We're, we're so in need of someone who can come in and enact justice to evil powers. And y'all, we see this all the time. I know we talk about it a lot, but like politics is one big issue for us, right? I'm not getting into what side is right or what hairstyle works and what doesn't, but there it is. But the reality is 
we, we have built these people up to be superheroes and put hope in them. And then when they fail, we get mad and we look at them and we're like, well, you were a puny God anyways. And, and so it's so, it's so uh, incredibly clear why we like superhero movies because we see ourselves reflected in them. Because we want hope. And, and if we can put a human person in the place of God, we can make less of God and more of ourselves and then convince ourselves that maybe we can get to the level of God and be self-sufficient and not need him at all. And, and, it, and guys, it's tearing the fabric out of our society. It's destroying us bit by bit by bit. And we see this in the fall, and we see this throughout Scripture, and we see this today, that if we can just make less of God, we can make more of us, and then more of us will be enough. And so we have idols. We have human gods. We have people that we worship. We, we will fight with other people and destroy other people for the sake of our own idols because that's what gives us security, and that's what gives us hope. And then when we put that up against the measure of an invisible God who is active and actually cares, what we have tangibly in front of us brings us more comfort than what he promises to bring us in the first place. But then when it fails, we look back at those things and we say, that's a puny God. But the question that I want to touch today and doubt your doubts is, is what happens when that evil comes? Uh, what happens when suffering actually comes? When, in, in superhero terms, Loki looks like he's coming and destroying the whole world. W what do we do in those moments where we have nothing left and it seems like evil won? Because I've got news for you. If you haven't experienced that, you're going to. You're going to experience moments where it feels like evil has won. When, when I moved back up to Greenville, two weeks after I moved up, moved home, I had one of my best friends in the world um, who put a gun to his chest and killed himself. And, and the last number he tried to dial was me. And, and the problem is he didn't get through because I had changed my number three days before and I hadn't had a chance to get it to him yet. You want to talk about feeling like evil wins? You want to talk about feeling like if there's just one thing you could have done, if you could have just powered through and made something happen, that God maybe would have been able to work within what we do in our own power and our own self-sufficiency. It's those moments where evil seems to win that we need something. And guys, everything in this world is not going to pay that debt for you. In ministry, you get to see and walk with people in the hardest parts of their life. And as a community, a church community, this is why we want you to be in small and community groups and sign up to be a part of people's lives because when you walk through these hard moments, you need someone to walk with you. And before we moved, we, we had a, a friend who, um, they had two kids and they, had preg they got pregnant, had another and was stillborn at 22 weeks. So they tried again, got pregnant six months later and again, stillborn at 22 weeks. And I'll never forget, he looked at me and he said, Sean, what did I do to deserve this? And I didn't have an answer. Because sometimes it feels like evil wins. And guys, I know that you probably have situations in your heart and in your life that you can consider right now where you feel like evil's won. And what I want to do is I want to allow you today to bring that to the gospel and see what happens. That's all, that's all I want to do today. <clears throat> I want to give you the opportunity to do that. 
We see things like murder and racism and these school shootings and the church shootings down in Charleston. I'll never forget the news story was incredible at at the court proceedings for Dylan Roof, who is the guy who um, murdered people in Mother Emanuel. And and this one statement blew my mind. It was uh, the sister of DePayne Middleton Doctor, one one of the people who were killed. She looked at him in court and said, I acknowledge that I'm very angry. But one thing that DePayne always enjoyed in our family is that she taught me that we are family and nothing can tear down what love built. We have no room for hating, so we have to forgive. And so I pray God onto your soul. And, and the, the thing that came out of that, were the culture, our, our people, America, was like, how in the world can someone actually do that? How can you get to a point where someone is murdered, stolen from you, and your statement is, I, I don't have room to hate, so I forgive? What do you do when evil has to lose? And the answer is this, is that it's Jesus. So the question for today, for our doubt your doubt, is why would a good God allow suffering? Now, if you came to church today and you're like, man, I'm going to have fun. We're going to clap. People are going to smile. That's going to happen. But, but I want us to deal with something real this morning. I, I was... Reading scripture, because um, I'm a pastor, that's what I get paid to do, apparently. Um, that was a joke. But I was reading through the Gospels, and there's one part that always messes me up, and it's uh, at the Last Supper uh, in Luke 22, and it's actually in your sermon notes. If you have our app, by the way, I didn't talk about our app yet. We have an app that's incredible. It has a Bible in there. It has sermon notes. You can pop in and follow along everything. I even do fill in the blanks, just because some people love to hit a blue button and watch words pop up. Um, I'm easily amused by that. Um, And it has a prayer wall, so we can pray for you. Um, But in Luke 22, Jesus says something that messes me up every time I read it. And he looks at Peter, and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Now, this isn't a guy in their community group, right, or somebody who's on the corner screaming about Jesus and hell and those things. Like This is Jesus looking at his friend, and he says, hey, you need to know Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Anybody have one of the old school sifters that was like that, the metal and the crank on it? Yeah? See, some of you guys, some of y'all are like, no, I don't know what that means. So, my mom, um, like our family thing is that uh, we always make bread, like sweet bread. My grandmother did it. My grandmother's grandmother did it. And so every Thanksgiving and Christmas, my mom hand makes this incredible bread. It's the best. You can't have any. Um, but I would help her sift. And so what she would do is she would take the flour and she would pour it in this huge thing. And I would just like grind and grind and grind. And literally what it does is that it takes the bits of flour and it tears it and breaks it down to where it's small enough to be pushed and forced through a filter to be useful. And that's, that's the terminology Jesus uses here. He says, hey, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, to destroy you, to take all the pressure, to rip you apart and punch you through a filter, to take everything that you are out of you so that there's nothing left. That's what Jesus says to Peter. Now, I don't know about you guys. I'm a wuss. So um, if Jesus said that to me, like, I'm out the door. Right? I'm like, hey, good luck with the crucifixion thing. Um, I'm, I'm going to go that way, which is kind of what Peter did, honestly. 
Or, or in, we read the book of Job, and, and it says in the first chapter that God finds Satan. Satan appears, and God says, where have you been? And Satan's reply is, I've been roaming the earth, stirring up trouble, hurting people, causing evil. And God says, well, have you, on your roaming, seen my buddy Job? And what is Satan's reply? He says, yeah, of course he loves you. You've never given him hardship. He has everything he needs. And you know what God's response? God's response is not, okay, well, you're right. I'm going to protect him. I love him. He's my favorite. Just really great smile. I gave it to him. No. He looks at Satan. He goes, you know what? Fine. You can take everything from him, but don't hurt him. Don't kill him, rather. Like, that's God's response. And y'all, if we put that next to American Christianity and what we've been told in churches is that Jesus is my homeboy and that he's going to make everything better. And so if you follow Jesus, you shouldn't have hardship because hardship proves that somebody doesn't love you. And so we've now taken any hardship to say that Jesus doesn't love us. But when we read scripture, what we see is that Jesus says, I will persevere with him and walk with him. You can take everything from him, but you can't take him. So, how does that fit? How does it fit when evil seems to win? How does it fit when life is really hard? How does it fit when you have bills coming in and you can't pay them? And you don't know what you're going to do? Because you have nowhere else to go. How, How does that work? How does it work when your children are being destroyed and you have no power to help? We have like 800 pregnant women in our church right now. (laughs) They're everywhere, and I love all of you. But that's the reality. Like, what happens if evil tends to win? If if you see something and you can't fix your kids, their problems. See, the question that we ask is, well, why would God allow that? And I don't think that's the right question. So what I want to do, I want to give you some assumptions because uh, we're going to talk about the burden of proof again. If you were here last week, I explained that. You can go back and look at it. But I'm going to give you three assumptions as we dive in here. And the first is this, that, that God exists. We're going to assume as we go forward that God is, exists. Uh, we're going to assume that God is omnipotent, which is omni, meaning total, complete, whole, and potent, meaning power and authority. So he's fully powerful. And the third assumption is a hard one, but we're going to do it. We're going to assume that God is good. That's it. That's all I'm bringing to the table. So the question remains, in your doubt, your doubt, then what do we do with the reality of evil? Like if we say God is, is God, that he exists, that he's all-powerful and has complete authority and that he's good, what do we do with evil because evil still exists? How do we handle that? And there's an argument called the logical fallacy argument, and, and this is what it says, um, that if God is an omnipotent, he is able to prevent evil. If God is good, he would want to prevent evil. But evil exists, and it causes suffering, and we're all going to experience it. Therefore, the conclusion logically is that either God is not omnipotent, is not good, is not powerful, or is not real, or does not care. He can be all those things and just doesn't care. And guys, that is something we have used consistently to prove to ourselves that we are better gods than God is. 
And we say things not to be hokey, but to go back to this guy, Loki, that rhymed, I didn't mean for it too, but <laughs> to look at people and people around us and go, you are beneath me. I am a God. You don't speak to me. How dare you? Who are you to approach me? Y'all heard that before? Bam, right here. I heard that yesterday. You are beneath me. I was like, man, this is why I'm a pastor, because now I get to make fun of you to the whole church, and you don't even know. So if you're watching, yeah. Um, just kidding. He's not watching. I'm beneath him. Um, but in this logical fallacy, what I want to do, is I want to flip the script, and I want to give you four reasons that evil and suffering actually point to God's power and who he is. And that evil and suffering, when you endure it, should point you toward the gospel and toward the cross and not away from it. We're not scared of evil and suffering here, okay? If you came to church and you want it to be really pretty and you want everything to fit, you're at the wrong place. But if you came to church and you want to know Jesus and watch him impact people's lives and real standards and real means, then I think maybe we're getting there and you can walk with us. The first thing I want to cover is this, is that there is an, a nature to evil. We have to break down what evil is. Because if we just say evil is bad things, then we're not actually operating out of anything. There's no logical premise for what we're saying, where it's like things are bad. You know, if I nick my toe on something, like, oh, that's an evil thing. Right? My son, as he's growing up, would, he's just clumsy, and he'd run into stuff and cry to my buddy, what's wrong? He's like, the table hit me. I'm like, the table has no arms. Right? Like, it didn't hit you. Like, it's not evil. The table just sits there. You need to open your eyes. But this is what evil is. Evil is the absence of good where good should be. That's important. One of my favorite theologians frame, he says this um, in his book, Systematic Theology. He says, the absence of sight is not evil. If a tree cannot see, we do not call it evil. We call it a tree. But we pity the human who is unable to see. It's like, man, that's such an uh, interesting, like you can tell that guy's way smarter and thinks about things, way smarter, there you go, um, thinks about things on a much higher level than I do. Because this is what he says, it's not the, the lack of something that's evil, it's the lack of something where good should be that's evil. Like, for instance, he says, a hole is not bad in itself. Having a hole somewhere is not bad. But having a hole in the back of your pocket, where your wallet falls out, and then someone finds it and then destroys all your financial history, that, that can be evil. We've now allowed someone to do evil because of it. The whole is not evil. It's that what happened because of that is evil. And so evil is defined in two ways. There's, there's natural evil and there's moral evil. Natural evil is anything that brings uh, frustration, suffering, pain, or difficulty into the lives of creatures. For instance, earthquakes, floods, storms, disease, injuries, Death, disease, like things that naturally occur that we don't have power over that are bad and hurt people. It's a natural evil. And even in this, when we talk about God and if God is good, he could just control it. The reality is in Genesis 3, when the fall happened, part of the curse is that God says the earth is going to be messed up. 
but I'm going to come and restore it. But until then, it is going to groan for redemption. It says creation, in Romans 8, it says creation groans in the pain of childbirth with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That because of the fall, naturally the earth is broken and our, our life is broken and things are going to happen. And guys, we're powerless. I don't know if you've ever heard, but there's these things called hurricanes. They're going to start coming. You cannot stand on the beach and be like, stop! I will stop all evil. Because it's going to whip you around and tell you that you're a puny God. We don't have that power. But here's the thing. We serve the one who does. And he promised to redeem it. And there's moral evil, which is where we'll kind of sit the rest of the morning here. It's the sin of rational angels and men. It's when people do bad things, when natural relationship is broken because people do things they shouldn't to each other. Right? Like crime. Like sin. Like beating each other up, like shooting guns at each other, like stealing from each other. When you, as a person, break relationship because of action. That's what we want to talk about. The moral evil. Because here's the, here's the reality. Romans says that our, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers and principalities. It's against spiritual realm things. I'm not trying to get weird. I'm just quoting scripture, okay? Some of y'all are like, oh no. It's going to get real weird here in a second. Start casting spells. No, I'm not. No. Uh, instead, this is what I'll say. That 1 Peter 5 says this. It says, be sober-minded and watchful for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour actively. Here's how we win. We stop trying to fight and we realize what we're fighting. Like, Satan is real and he is actively attempting to destroy you. Yes, that's what he does. Sorry, I can't write the script better, but I'm just saying what the Bible says, and that's the authority. He is actively prowling the earth, seeking for someone to devour. I don't know if you guys have ever watched um, any of the nature shows or the jungle cats walking around and destroying gazelles. I can like see the, the chase for a minute, but when they just start diving in, I'm like, oh, I can't handle that anymore. There's blood and like just, uh, I don't have to go any further. Got a weak stomach. Not meant to be a doctor, this one right here. But, but that's the picture that Peter gives. It's that like Satan is coming around and he is wanting to destroy you, tear you limb from limb and remove life from you. Like, that is what you're fighting. Sorry, it's real. It just is, guys. It is. But the thing is that God is not the cause of evil. He's instead the anchor in the midst of the storm. He's the protector. As James 1 says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. The issue is that Satan is active. He's trying to destroy. And that humanity is broken in its natural state. Like you and I are not going to naturally do things to help everyone else. Right? I think I said this a few weeks ago, but if you don't believe me, there's a video where I think a, a Brinks truck like flipped open and money was all over the highway. Y'all want to see some people fight? <laughs> get all that and then put the last thousand dollars in there and get two people who didn't get any of it. We, we at our core are not good. 
There's a reason that we talk about cannibalism, because at one point we got to eat, and we will do anything to survive. I was talking to my friend Kevin. Um, he goes here, but he's actually uh, traveling right now for work, and we were talking about triathlons. He's this super in shape guy. He told us last night, he's like, yeah, I had a little run yesterday, and um, not prideful at all. And we're like, how far did you run? He's like, 15 miles. It's like, man, I don't even like to drive that far. Um, <laughs> But he's considering doing a triathlon, and he's talking about how he has a fear of an open water swim. And I told him a story that my older brother had where he said he was on a swim. He saw a guy panic, lock up in the middle of open water, and then just start tearing at people to try to survive because he thought he was drowning. So what did he do? He reached out at the first thing he could use to push down to get himself up. Y'all, we at our core are not good. We will self-preserve by how we're wired. You will have trouble. Evil will sometimes feel like it wins because humanity is broken and man's depravity will entice us toward evil every single time as an, as an act of rebellion against God. James 1 says this. It says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by God's goodness and... Pro- no. By their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. How many of you guys have been like, man, I'm so good. I've been praying. I've been reading my Bible. Good things are happening. And then one bad thought pops in. You're like, I'm good. And you're like, well, that wouldn't be so bad. And next thing you know, you're like, how did I get here? And then after the sin's done, you're like, why did I do that? Because that's our state. Like, our state is broken. We are going to do evil, and we are going to be abused by evil. We just need to understand that. You make a puny God. So do I. Because we cannot withstand it, guys. We don't have the power. So a further assumption made. Humanity is, is bent toward evil in its most natural state. But the good news is that God is sovereign over all things. The good news is he is unchanging in his concern for his people. He's unchanged. When he, what he says about you, he means about you, and that doesn't shift by how bad you are or if you drank too much last night. Like, can we just get over that? Like, everyone, this is your pastor. Get over the fact that you are too bad for God, please. God is not waiting on you to wake up after messing up the night before and be like, told you, check mark of damnation for you. Hope you figure that one out. Here, go to church, sing songs, raise your hands, and that'll be a holy eraser, and I'll forget about it. That's, the, that's not how he works. He doesn't do that. But the second problem that we have is, is, is called the problem of pentomathy. I can't say that right. I said it earlier really well. Pentomathy. There we go. And here's what a pentomath is. It's a person who wants to know and needs to know everything. Y'all know anybody like that? Husbands, do not elbow your wives. Don't do it. Wives, do not elbow your husbands. That's why my wife is over there. She can't look at me and elbow me. Yeah, here's why we say evil runs us against God, because some of us need to know everything. Y'all know anybody like that, like planners? Like, I'm going to go on a vacation, and you get there, I'm going to relax. And then somebody on vacation walks in like, okay, here is your agenda. Uh, Here's your agenda. I'll see you at 8.15 for breakfast. They've got four courses. We'll all have grits. You ever been like that? Yeah. 
I love my mom. She's not a super planner, but we go on vacation. She's like, all right, Monday night we'll go here, Tuesday night here, Wednesday night you'll cook dinner, Thursday. I'm like, mom, I just want to sit by a pool and not be in reality for a little while. I don't care when we have shrimp. We're at the beach. You can have whenever you want. That's a, a, a pantomime. And the, the, the pantomimic argument is this, that if God has reasons to allow suffering, then we deserve to know what they are. Darn it. We deserve it. Because we're creation. Allow me to help you remember you are a, a lazy, puny God, okay? If you don't believe that, I want you, after this, to go find your favorite kid in our children ministry, and I want you to ask them if they'll drive home. Anybody doing that? Let me know, because I'm going to wait. <laughs> but it's the same thing. We tell God that he has to give us reasons for why he allows to happen what he allows to happen. Like, God, if you love me, why would you allow this? I'll need a dissertation of 620 pages, please. Make sure your bibliography is right. I've got some issues I need to work out. My favorite quote was people like, man, when I die and go to heaven, I've got a lot of questions for God. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Like, hey, Lord, now that I'm here, <laughs> why did I not play in the NFL? I had the body. <laughs> it's perfect. Like, come on, guys. God doesn't owe you anything. In fact, yes, he does. He owes you death. You know what God owes you? Death, hell, damnation. That's it. Sometimes I wish I was a Jehovah's Witness because I could go to their theology and be like, you know what? I'm not going to do what you want, and God's just going to get rid of me and annihilate me anyways. i got nothing to worry about. Might as well enjoy these years I've got. But that's not what he says. What you deserve is death, but what God does instead is that he rescues you from your evil and your inefficiency and your depravity, and he says you're his, and all you need to do is hold on. But that's not good enough because we have to know everything because God needs to prove himself to us. Everyone, take a deep breath. God is proving himself to you. You are not random. You are purposed. You're important. Because our lack of understanding points toward an all-powerful God, not away from it. There's this great quote from a guy named uh, Vince Vitale. He's in the Ravi Zechariah ministry. He says, if God is as great as Christians claim he is, then sometimes not fully grasping the fullness of his reasons is exactly what we should expect. And if it's exactly what we should expect to find if God does exist, then our finding, then, then our finding it can't be strong evidence that God does not exist. If God is exactly who he says he is, then his ways are going to be higher than ours naturally. You are not going to understand. If you could understand, you could will it. You could write the story. If it made sense, then our churches would be full every day of the week. I, I'd have to close it down and be like, guys, I have to go to bed. Please leave. You know, I'd be like, no, i got to worship a little longer, please. I'm like, fine, put on music. You can stay here and worship. We wouldn't have a problem with that. We wouldn't have a problem with serving and giving and worshiping and being a part of a church body and going out and serving, caring for people because we would realize everything we need is a God whose ways are higher than ours and all we need to do is follow in his footsteps and be behind him and hold on tight. That's all. But we write ourselves to be puny gods instead. And we say things like God should tell us exactly why he does everything. 
But Isaiah 55 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways, declares the Lord. Psalm 139 says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty to attain. You guys ever read a book and you're like, I didn't understand any of that. There were so many words that were so big. I got tired of going on Google. No, just me. And we want to talk about like why God would allow something horrendous to happen and what his plan is. And we think, well, you know, I'm in book three of Harry Potter. I don't know if I've got time for that right now, Lord. But the third point is this, and this is the beauty of, of what happens when evil seems to win. Is that we have the God who suffers alongside us. Jesus knows the depth of your suffering. Listen, right now I want everyone to take a second, if you're not already thinking, think about the one thing you don't understand that's happened in your life. Jesus knows your suffering. Jesus walks with you in your suffering. Jesus has not forgotten you when you felt alone in your suffering. When you thought it was only you that's going through that, that no one else knows how you feel, Jesus is walking with you in your suffering. So much so that he suffered something called hematidrosis. I said that wrong, but we have PAs here. They can fix it later. Did I say it? Was it close? Great. <laughs> Catherine's one of our PAs. She's awesome. And this is what Jesus says. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, to the point where he was so anxious ridden, anxiety ridden, excuse me, that as he was sweating, blood was coming out with it. Because he was so anxious, he could not function. Guys, Jesus walks with you when you're suffering because he's been with you when you're suffering because he's suffered before you ever did in the way you already will and will in the future and he's made it through and he will walk with you. You are not alone in it. Why does evil happen? Because maybe it's an opportunity for Jesus to prove himself walking with you. Why does evil happen? Because maybe it has to happen so that you can understand who he actually is and you can continue to push through knowing that this, anything that happens here, isn't for us anyways. Maybe evil happens because we are broken and Jesus isn't, but his body was broken so that we would be with him and that this wouldn't be all we have. If this is all the hope you have and that you're going to leave here and have a really good stake somewhere, please, I beg you, consider Jesus who has walked every way that you will and yet did not sin. And that is not a problem of evil. It's a problem for us of pride. That Jesus condescended down to us so that in our sorrow we could experience his love. When my wife and I had a miscarriage, as we were fighting, fighting for pregnancy for years, doing everything we could, I worked out. I wasn't quite in this good a shape, but I was pretty close. Um, we finally found out we were pregnant, and then we lost this baby. And I remember looking at God and going, what are you doing? I'm a pastor. I'm loving kids. I'm baptizing people. Like, you've allowed me to be here. We're doing the right thing. We tithe, we give, we pray. And we felt alone. Until we finally had the guts to reach out and tell people walking with us, this is what's going on. You know what we found? There are a lot of other people who've walked through the same thing, and the Lord had walked with them and that they were okay now. 
and that the promise of eternity was greater than, the, than our loss at the moment. This is what Hebrews 4 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us firmly hold to what we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Guys, church, Jesus does not look at you when you approach him and say, get away, you are beneath me. I am God. How dare you? He says, in your time of need, I've been where you are. I understand what you're going through. Come to me. Come to me knowing with boldness that I will meet you where you are and I will give you grace and I will give you mercy and meet you in your need. That's what Jesus says. The problem of evil is not the problem of evil. It's a problem that we need to know and you need to know you can go to the Savior and that he will meet you and that he does not look at you and say you're not enough or that you've messed up too much or he's forgotten you or that your problems are too big or that people that you love, that they've done too much stuff. He's not a holy eraser. He instead grabs you and holds you close and says, I will meet you. Here is grace. Here is mercy. Stay by my side. That's the Savior we have. That's why everything we do matters. That's why we serve. That's why we have people who hang out and and love kids. That's why we go on third Saturday and take care of people. That's why we give so that we can have money set aside so when people are walking in and they just need help to pay an electric bill, we can do that and walk with them and then tell them about the gospel. That's why we do it. It's not so we can line pockets or we can look good. I challenge you, go to Gateway Park and find me one place where you see a Trailside Church sign or sticker that says, look what we did. You won't. So that's not what it's about. It's about giving people hope. And if that gets them to our church or that church or that church or that church and they hear the gospel, we don't care because we're not about us. We're about Jesus. I want you to give and serve so I can go to a bunch of pastors and say, look how great our church is. I want you to give and serve because nothing on this earth matters as much as people knowing Jesus. Because this isn't our treasure anyways. If this room that we cannot keep at a good temperature is our treasure, (laughs) then I'm really messing you guys up. But man, if we get to bring a tub up here and dunk people who now have hope in Jesus that didn't, that thought evil had won, and we get to see 18 go to 19, go to 50, go to 100, That's why, that, that's why we ask you to give. That's why we ask you to serve. That's why we ask you to be here. That's why we ask you to be in community. That's why we ask you to go and love teenagers, to go and love college students, to, to love people. That, if this was ever about us, I promise you, you have my word. If this ever becomes about us, I will shut this thing down. And you know what great news you have today is that we have elders that would shut it down before I had a chance to because they get it and they understand they're walking with that as well. Because we have a Savior that walks with us in our adversity. And when evil tends and looks like it's winning, you have a Savior who has walked and said, man, I've been where you are, and I'm not letting you go. That's that's good news. The fourth and final thing I want to give you today, and I'm sure I went over, but whatever, I got excited. 
We'll still beat the Baptist to lunch. Is this that suffering, the, the reason that evil exists, the problem with evil is because we don't have the full perspective because suffering produces irrevocable hope. I'm going to say it again for those in the back. Suffering produces irrevocable hope. I want to read to you one of my favorite pieces of scripture out of Romans 5. I know I bounce around a lot of scripture. It's all on the app, on the sermon notes. If you can't keep up, it's okay. This is what Paul says. So not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. What? Rejoice in our sufferings. We're going to keep reading, but I want to pause there. Rejoice in our sufferings. You guys ever had a real bad day and you're like, yes! Thank you. You know what I wanted? The IRS to holler at me. <laughs> Jury duty. Or to find out someone you love has disease. No, instead, Paul says, not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know, not we think, not we believe, we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. For at just the right time, I love this, church, hear this, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Remember we were talking about the holy eraser? The reason we sing songs that say it is finished, it is done, is because you can't take the eraser and wipe yourself out either. While we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how can we rejoice in suffering? That seems antithetical, right? This logical fallacy. How in the world can you go through hardship and look at your bank account or see disease or see your kids who are doing God knows what on Thursday because they weren't at Resolve Wednesday, but how in the world can we see these things and rejoice when it seems like evil is winning? Because God's joy doesn't equal happiness. Paul doesn't say be incredibly happy when life is really hard. When you fight things and approach things and people burn you and say terrible things about you and rip your character apart, he does not say smile and act like everything's all right. Everybody who came to church for the first time, second time next week, come back. I want you to know that when people smile, it's because hopefully they're just genuinely having a good day. But that we want community where you don't have to smile and be happy, but where you can have joy out of Jesus and that can bring you hope. We don't play the church game. I, I'm not, I, wait, I'm way too emotional for that. So how do we rejoice in suffering? Because our suffering cries out to our brokenness, which cries out for eternity, which yearns for eternity. And that eternity 
means that this world is not the end if you know Jesus. That this, it's not the best. Suffering is defined by frame as as the emotional response to the agony of evil. Paul says, have joy in that. Choose joy in your emotional response when evil is agonizing and rips you shred from shred. But he says that produces perseverance. And actually, the beautiful part of this is the Greek actually has three different words for this that are all used here. And this is what it means. He says, suffering produces perseverance or energetic resistance, steadfastness under pressure, endurance in the face of trials. That's hypomeno is the word. And there's epomeno that you are still to abide, that you can continue, that you can remain. And there's kotereo, which means to be steadfast and endure in the face of evil. When, when Paul says that suffering produces perseverance, what he's saying is, as Satan comes and grinds you and seeks to destroy you and rip you piece from piece, be steadfast, persevere, have an energetic resistance, hold on to hope, because that produces character. Character is the ability to walk in integrity no matter the circumstance, to walk in hope, which is what character produces. And hope is the knowledge that no matter what may happen to you on earth, no matter the moment you feel evil may have won or is winning or will win, no matter what that is, that your eternity, if you know and follow Jesus, cannot be revoked, that nothing can condemn you or wipe you out because the only one who can doesn't. Don't believe me, go read Romans 8. He says, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is not a tempestuous middle school kid who gets mad at you and says you can't come to his birthday. 1 Corinthians says, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord. Because... You're faithful? No, because God is faithful. And he has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the conclusion is this. Although evil may exist, the good news, church, as we close is this, evil will not win. Evil will not win. They can take all you have. They can take all your money. They can take all your stuff. They can throw disease at your family. They can make just life kind of suck a little bit. You can have a case of the Mondays for four months. You can have depression. You can have anxiety. You can have suicidal thoughts. You can want to just be angry and hurt people. But the reality is that will not win because it can't because God is not a puny God. The problem of evil is that it hasn't been met yet with Jesus in the last day, but it will. For Jesus says, In John 16, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. He doesn't say, follow me and I'll make it better. He says, follow me and you will have trouble. It's not, why would God allow evil? It's, how can I cling to the cross when evil strikes? So this is my logical fallacy for you. Know that evil will come. And when it does, don't be surprised. 
Know that evil will come, and when it does, run to safety and the one person who can protect you. And know that when evil comes, it will not overtake you and win forever. Even when it seems it does, that this is not your promise. And know that when evil seems to win, that evil will still bend its knee at the throne of Jesus. Church, there's one way to not suffer. It's to never exist, but you do. And so instead, exist and seek joy. Know that when evil seems like it won, it hasn't, and that God holds you in his hand and he will not let you go. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you love us, that you care for us. Thank you that we have the opportunity to not worship a puny God, but to worship a God of strength and hope and that you are incapable of failing us. And so, Father, I pray that if there's anyone in here who has come in this morning and they are fighting evil and they they are ready to give up, God, that they would not give up on you, but instead they would give up on their doubt. They would give up on their fear. They would give up on their anxiety and that they would lay them at your feet. And much in the way that a a child who is hurt runs to their father that we would run to you as well. Because God, you are good and you are unfailing and you are steadfast and you will never leave us. So Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for using us to change the world. Help us to be obedient. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person, or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.